This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Now, they were busy today with a good announcement, with a, I believe, a reason to celebrate in 2020. And it's a reason to celebrate, but at the same time, we're still dealing with serious issues. And one of them, of course, is the issue that has involved just about any community. If we look at the opioid crisis and this morning we had an announcement and part of that announcement was brian lester who is the executive director of the regional hiv aids connection and we're lucky enough to have brian with us right now brian how is monday going uh good start to monday uh with our good news announcement uh thanks for your interest in uh exploring that with me well, hey, let's have the announcement. I, I wanted to give you the podium, the floor, the spotlight. Let us know what this morning's announcement was all about, please. Well, I would say we have uh, been staying on a course to bring a permanent supervised consumption service to London, Ontario, because of the whole host of issues and needs associated with that. Namely, you've already mentioned it, the opioid crisis that we're currently um uh, experiencing and uh, after a long journey with a number of um, you know different twists and turns in it uh, the province of Ontario has approved the uh, permanent location for uh, the care point program the consumption treatment service which will be at uh, 446 York Street here in London uh, Ontario so we're very excited about that and um, they're also going to allocate the capital uh, funding to do a full retrofit for the uh, space that will occupy the site. So no longer temporary, permanence exists. Brian, what does that mean for you and for anybody else that has been involved in trying to curb the opioid crisis that has been going on? Well, it's such a critically positive development for us. You know, we now we the, the ministry had committed to permanent funding um, in April of 2019. The the outstanding piece is where is this program going to be situated? Where it's going to meet the needs of our community to the greatest extent possible? And um, the, the 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 journey going through the zoning and the appeals related to zoning that that was certainly challenging for us as we are at the front line trying to address um, and respond to the opioid crisis in a profoundly impactful way where we, you know, we have reversed close to 300 opioid, potential opioid deaths in, in the site itself. And, and, and that's critical for our work. And so it's just, it's just a really good um, development, a good news development after we have uh, persevered through this um, experience. And, and, and now we can actually stop worrying about where we're going to be, stop worrying about the funding, and just continue to do the work and develop the work. And really, um, with uh, space capacity, increased space capacity, the strengthening of wraparound supports, um, just knowing that we're going to have a stationary location for the long haul, it, it, it's just a really positive development uh, for the people that serve, that we serve, the people that need us the most, those who are struggling with addiction. London will have a permanent safe injection site. That is the big news that would normally, had it not been for a pandemic, take over headlines and news stories everywhere, and it deserves to be up there even in a pandemic because this is something that London has been a big part of from the beginning. Brian Lester joining us, Executive Director of the Regional HIV AIDS Connection. Brian, we can look at the numbers, and when we look at numbers – we're looking at numbers of lives 
saved. When you go through the data that comes out of even what a temporary safe injection site has brought, and you look at the the number of lives saved, what does that mean? Well, when I think about the individuals that we have saved through their service experience at this organization. We're talking about someone's mother, someone's father, someone's brother, someone's, you know, sister. We're talking about uh, human beings that are, you know, they're struggling with a healthcare issue that is um, a very challenging issue to often navigate your way out of because it also intersects with poverty. It intersects with um, mental health issues and, and uh, just the challenges that these folks face and their resiliency to come into a site, to trust the staff, to say, you know, I am, I, I'm still, you know, needing to use for whatever reason. Often, often it's about trauma, past trauma in one's life that leads them uh, toward numbing that pain of trauma. And and so this site helps to provide people who might be tied up with um, and, and experiencing trauma. Uh, to be able to come into the site and have their life saved. Um, and, and, I mean, isn't that, I think, uh, an amazing opportunity for anyone that we can support, that they're not going to die alone in, in, in an alleyway or alone in, in, in um, you know, a shelter or wherever they might be, that they're going to have the support uh, for safe injection and aftercare support and wraparound support and referrals to treatment and referrals to housing and all the pieces that come along with this. Brian, you do such a great job giving faces to this issue because a lot of times there is a lot of stigma that just says, oh, that person, they're, they're just addicted to drugs or they're just there. They're, and, and they don't have that name, that face, that recognition. How is that stigma right now? Is that improving or do we still have a long way to go? Well, I, do, I, I can answer that in two ways. Yes, Absolutely. There is a growing understanding about the complexity of addiction and how it intersects with the things that I mentioned. Um, But stigma is very real. Um, People, um, I mean, sometimes you just have to follow an online article to see some of the really disappointing things that uh, members of the general public might say about um, uh, people who are struggling with addiction. And and one of the key, I think, drivers to that is the ongoing criminalization of um, substance use, where this is first and foremost a healthcare issue, but it often gets a criminal response. And then people say these individuals are criminals, they should be arrested and et cetera, so forth. And really it's again that healthcare issue. And and if we can meet people where they're at with their healthcare issue, if we can build trusting relationships with people, which we do on a daily basis in the experience of the site, you know, people start trusting you, they start talking about their lives and they often will talk about, you know, I want to make change and, and then there is that moment where that uh harm reduction worker or that medical professional in the space is able to say, Well, we've got some options for you if you want to work on that and then we connect them with the important wraparound supports that are part of this um, this whole initiative the, 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 that, that help people get the supports they need and uh, move forward in their lives. We will hear from Dr. Chris Mackey a little later on. Brian, thank you so much for your time today and your work on this to help make our community a better place to be. I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for your interest in our work. Brian, we'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Brian Lester, Executive Director, Regional HIV AIDS Connection. And as Dr. Chris Mackey had stated, 
After four years of consultations, planning, working with partners, filling in application forms, waiting, filling in more forms, refilling revised forms, and much prayer, it's truly a magical moment to be here. Huge thanks to the thousands who have supported along the way. A permanent consumption treatment services site, supervised consumption facility is coming to life. Spending too much time worrying about the dog and the Christmas tree that I now had a cat come over, tip over my water, and is now uh, attempting to drink it from the carpet. Ah, pets. Pets, pets, pets. If only we had these these things that, you know, couldn't think for themselves, that, that needed to be driven and, and operated and, and, and got us around where we needed to go, the, these, these vehicles. Would, uh, don't you think they would be a, a good idea? Um, well, you know what? Some people do find that. Other people will find that the vehicles that you use to get yourself around are things that, you know, can vary. You could make use of a car. You could make use of a truck, bus, SUV. You could also go right back to horseback if you wanted to. But the bicycle has become ever more popular. The question is, could you go through life without a vehicle? A lot of people do it. In London, Ontario, it is possible to do it. How about if we added in the element of a family? Could you still do it if we did that? Well, we're lucky enough to have with us right now Nancy McCreary, who goes by Car Free Mama because her family has now done it. They have gone car free. Nancy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Let's kind of go through your story a little bit. When did the serious discussions about going car free get started? Well, about a year ago, um, we had kind of talked about it a little bit, and I definitely wasn't on board with it a year ago. Um, just the idea was a little too foreign for me because I was still just a fair-weather cyclist at that point. Um, and then I started kind of giving it some more thought. My husband was ready to do this a year ago or even before that. Um, so I started thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is something we can do. And I remember my husband and my daughter starting to make a list of all the places that we used our car to go to. And it was quite a long list. And I kind of <laughs> felt like I was starting to panic a little bit. Um, and then fast forward to March when, uh, the pandemic happened and, all of our lives just kind of really slowed down, and uh, I started working from home, and we started using the car a lot less, obviously, because I wasn't driving uh, home, and everything else was kind of getting canceled and shut down. Um, so there came a point where I just started reaching for my bicycle instead of the car keys to start going to the grocery store or just going to visit someone. And my husband would suggest that like a year ago, I would just kind of roll my eyes and be like, okay, (laughs) and just get in the car and go still. So um, by the time August rolled around, uh, we were bicycling a lot as a family, just going to the park and going downtown. And um, I was, yeah, I'd say that I probably bike at least 20 times than I normally do every other year. So um, in August, I decided 
okay, I think that I'm ready to do this. Why don't we, you know, why don't we just take the plunge and sell our car? And so my husband um, said probably the first step for me would be to uh, cancel my parking pass at work. So, so I drafted an email to send to the parking services and I was really hesitant about clicking it and sending it because I thought that was so final. And then my daughter came up behind me and she just reached over my shoulder and clicked and sent it for me. So I was like, okay, I guess that's done. <laughs> yeah. so, and um, thus begins a pretty wild adventure. So it's, it's amazing to know that you put yourself through the test phase and then you had the support of the family because that's just it. If you are one person and you decide, you know what, we're, we're going to try and do this using bikes and, and using other forms of transportation it's maybe a little bit easier. If you're doing it from a family perspective, that's got to add a few more elements of challenge because families eat a lot. There are a lot of trips to the grocery store for even using a vehicle. So what was it like to actually go beyond the parking pass and say goodbye to the vehicle? So um, I think like it didn't happen overnight. So It was just like these little things that we were incorporating into our lives. And we had finally gotten down to only using the car once a week before we sold it. And it was to get my daughter to gymnastics. And so everything else we were already doing on our bikes, we were uh, going to the grocery store. And we had just started this routine where the three of us would go to the grocery store on Sunday and uh, do our shop for the week. And we each have panniers on our bag and we can easily fit about $300 worth of groceries between the three bikes. No way. Uh, Yeah. I mean, depending what you buy, I guess. (laughs) Um, But we could usually get the majority of our groceries. Um, And then I also discovered that um, Costco delivers the same day. So um, once in a while I'll do a Costco order and they actually deliver to our house. Um, But for the majority of the food that we get, we just, we're shopping closer to where we live. Um, yeah, so I, I think just taking it in the small steps that we did, it was less of a shock to my system when we actually did it. I thought it was actually going to be a lot more upset when we sold the car and the lady who bought it drove it away. And I wasn't. <laughs> so I think just all the steps we had taken to get to that point and the time that we took to get there helped. We are talking with Nancy McCreary, who goes by Car Free Mama, and you blog about this. I do, yeah. I thought, well, when I initially um, agreed to do this, I told my husband, okay, I'm going to do this for a year, and I'm just going to kind of do this uh, kind of a diary. That's what my blog is like, and I'm going to be very honest about the things that I hate and the things that I really like about it. Um, And so that's what I've been doing, and I've I just kind of write something when I feel like I have something kind of interesting to say. (laughs) Well, you know what? This is interesting already just to follow how this has gone. Now, Nancy, one thing that adds to the entire situation is a thing like yesterday where it's not necessarily the most friendly cycling weather. It wasn't really necessarily the most friendly weather period yesterday where we're getting all kinds of snow. We know winter is coming. How much do you look at winter kind of through the uh, the lens of maybe squinted eyes? <laughs> yes. 
Um, well, so when we had all that snow on Sunday, my husband right away decided to go for a big long ride on the TVP, the Thames Valley Parkway. And I was kind of, yeah, I think I'm just going to stay in today. Um, but he loved it. He's been cycling um, for two or three winters now. So he's very comfortable in that. So this morning, I uh, biked my daughter to school. So that was the first time that I've been out on my bike where there's snow and slush on the road and the sidewalks aren't cleared. And um, so it was, wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. It was, I just had to go slower. There was a couple times where I kind of felt my tires kind of, you know, sliding around. But the three of us have studded tires on our, our bike that um, my husband had put on a couple weeks ago in preparation. And it wasn't. It wasn't too bad, but I definitely, I need more practice and I need to get more comfortable, comfortable doing it. Um, but yeah, and I think for me, I just need to get more comfortable being on the road where it's not as slushy and messy and um, yeah, just get more comfortable, get out there doing it more often and I'll, I'll blog about it and I'll let you know what I like and what I hate. <laughs> Where can we find the blog to see if there's anything that uh, that becomes a big challenge as the bad weather rolls in? So my blog is carfreemama, all one word, dot ca. Okay, carfreemama.ca. That's who we're speaking with right now, Nancy McCreary. Nancy, as a final question, obviously vehicles allow you to get places fast, and there would be a little bit more time if you were looking to do everything on two wheels or on two feet. How has that aspect worked out? Um, it's Yeah, it's definitely, it takes us some more planning and um my husband introduced me to the idea of trip chaining. So if we go out on our bikes to try to get a lot of things done on that one trip instead of going out multiple times. Um, so we definitely have to plan more for it. We have to check the weather more just so we're prepared if it starts raining while we're out. Um, but on the flip side, the thing that I wasn't expecting um, cycling so much more now is just I didn't realize how much I was going to like it. Um, like we, ch- one of the reasons we chose to do it was just to um, lessen our carbon footprint. And uh, uh, that was one of the main reasons. And, but I've really started enjoying it. And I feel like I say hi to people more people, like it's more interaction with the community around me more. Whereas when I was in a car, I wasn't, I was just kind of, more stressed out and grumbling and just trying to get where I was going. And now I find that I enjoy kind of the process of getting there more. Well, it's been great talking with you about it. We'll have to check in, in, uh, you know, maybe the, the cold snap that February brings (laughs) and, and see how things are going, but this is fantastic. Nancy, (laughs) thank you so much for the time and telling your story for us today. Thanks for having me. That is Nancy McCreary, car-free mama, doing it with a family. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'll probably do this myself. It's another thing to say, we're going to plan, we're going to make it work. So far, so good in the McCreary household. So over the weekend, the Toronto Raptors changed a little bit. NBA free agency 
has been wild. James Myrtle probably had one of the best tweets on Friday night about the NBA. It was about 2 in the morning when he wrote this, because that was day one of free agency. So 2 in the morning, and it, it said, go to bed, NBA. You know how that's been. If you've had teenagers in your house, you know, you can knock it. Hey, it's 4.30 in the morning. You want to keep, keep it down a little? Go to bed, NBA. They were certainly making a whole lot of noise. And in amongst all of the noise, we saw the departure of a couple of key members of the Toronto Raptors championship run in 2019. Serge Ibaka, not part of the Raptors anymore. Marcus Gasol, nope. But they brought in some new people. So to talk about that and an NHL idea, please welcome from Global News Radio 640 Toronto, Mr. Greg Brady. Greg, how you doing? You you reminded me of, uh, you remember the week of Kawhi Watch in the summer of 2019. And there's helicopters, right? And there's black, uh, you know, Cadillac Escalades. And I, I have that inability to sleep. It's got nothing to do with doing, you know, morning shows or whatever. But I I can't sleep sometimes. So I wake up at 3 a.m. Friday going into Saturday, and I check my phone, and I see Kawhi Leonard signed with the L.A. Clippers. Now, my wife's a Raptors beat writer for the Globe and Mail. As you know, being happily married as long as you have, there's things you wake your up your wife up for at 3 a.m. and things you don't. <laughs> but I went ahead with this one, and naturally she's like, what happened? Did my wedding ring fall down the toilet? Uh, do I even have a wedding ring? Am I imagining that I'm married to you? Is it too good, too good a dream to be true? Or is it a living nightmare? You decide. Somewhere in the middle. But I woke her up, told her the Kawhi news, and uh, and we were off and running. It was the right thing to do at the right time to do. And, uh, yeah, you reminded me of that things happen overnight in that league more than any other, it feels like. Yeah, you, you cannot afford to sleep if you cover sports in any way. There is, there is to be no sleep. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada always tells a story where he needed a nap. He just, he just needed an hour. Whatever he'd been doing, kids had the flu, whatever it was. And he takes that nap and he wakes up. And I think Joe Thornton had been traded from Boston to San Jose. It was, it was some massive deal and his phone had lit up. Where are you? Why, hey, I can't get in touch with you. All he was doing was napping. That's the most groggy you feel. I remember Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were traded by the Flyers on the exact same day in within like an hour of each other in the summer one year. And I woke up and literally thought I dreamed it for about three hours afterwards. So then I'm working on the show the next day with whoever I was doing the show with. So hard to keep track. And they were like, and we got to talk about Richards and Carter. And I'm like, oh, my God, I thought I dreamed that. I thought I turned over, looked at my phone. Jeff Carter went to the, what, Columbus Blue Jackets, and Mike Richards goes to the L.A. Kings. But I dreamed that. I know I did. No, it's real. So, yeah, like uh, napping. That's how Elliot grew the beard also in the spring, Mike, was just a lack of sleep and figuring out when's the right time to shave. And eventually, if there's no right time, you, you end up looking like Moses. It just happens. Rip Van Winkle. That's that's what it is. Didn't he sleep for a hundred years? You got to be careful. You got to set at least set an alarm somewhere in there. And I don't, do the alarm bells go off for the Toronto Raptors and their fans right now, losing the pieces that they did. What do you think? No, I, I I'm going to tell you. I think um, teams can get caught up, and fans certainly can can get caught up in sentiment. And I think that this is a progressive weekend. First of all, they kept the player that mattered the most. They kept Fred Van Vliet, and that's one player that is worth mentioning. Um, absolutely. Now, it's not the, 
it's not the role that anybody thought when Van Vliet started. Remember, the, the concept was he's Kyle Lowry's backup. He's eight years younger. He's more a, you know, a traditional point guard, but very much, uh, you know, very much in the mold of Kyle Lowry. But if you've got Kyle Lowry, where can Fred Van Vliet play? But Danny Green leaves. Obviously, DeMar DeRozan traded for, for Kawhi Leonard, as we referenced. Um, and then Danny Green leaves. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Fred Van Vliet can move into shooting guard. And that was incredibly important to keep him. But that was it. That, I, think, I think the Van Vliet news came down Saturday. Four-year contract, over $80 million. I don't think they overpaid. He's not a max player. He isn't. But it's a great contract for him to, to move forward. It also, I think it assures most fans that there's potential for Kyle Lowry to finish his career in a Raptors uniform. And maybe it's, a, maybe it's an all-round thing, but there's that sentiment among Toronto fans, I can tell you this, that, um, that a lot of times they're heroes and just don't finish in, in, the, you know, in the colors of that team. There's, you can think of tons of Toronto Maple Leafs. Matt Sundin finished with the Vancouver Canucks. Boreas Salming finished for, with a year with the lowly Detroit Red Wings when we were in high school. Like, weird things happen. And lots of Blue Jays, obviously. No one thinks about Jose Bautista as a Met or Edwin in Cleveland. But these things happen. So they'd love to see a happy ending and a Kyle Lowry retirement with the Raptors. And signing Van Vliet as a shooting guard helps to assure that. But, no, a, a little bit of maybe, um, you know, a little bit of remorse maybe on the Ibaka front because – he rounded in and started playing better basketball under Nick Nurse, found more of a role. But Marcus Saul, I'm sorry, he's going to be 36. He was borderline unplayable in the playoffs. So we're thinking of the games when he stepped up, played decently against Golden State in the NBA Finals uh, a year and a half ago, uh, started badly in the series against the Milwaukee Bucks, and then found his shot. But, Mike, it's, it's the law of diminishing returns. Teams have to know when to turn the page. And the smart teams in salary cap leagues do just that and move along so they're uh you know they're not a better team in the first three months of the season when they start but those would have been albatross type contracts to sign gasol for a couple years or ibaka even to going towards age 33 for a couple years there's a lot of tread on the ibaka tires and i think as we saw marcus Gasol just wasn't able to handle that um that you know post-pandemic season uh and i'm not sure how good he'll be for the la lakers i think he'll just be a bit player for them well, Serge Ibaka off to the Clippers. Marcus, as you say, off to one of his brother's old haunts, the L.A. Lakers and the Toronto Raptors. Not just sitting back and saying goodbye to those guys and signing Fred Van Vliet. What they did was they brought in a different big man. As we talk with Greg Brady from Global News Radio 640 Toronto, they get a guy who played with the Celtics and was kind of a fan favorite. Maybe he wasn't in Phoenix long enough to be a fan favorite, but they get Aaron Baines and they sign him to a two-year deal for a reported $14.7 million. Is this somebody that Raptors fans may not know but might come to like? Yeah, would have seen a little bit of him, uh, you know, coming off the bench with the Pistons for a couple of those years prior to Dwayne Casey getting there. He's playing more uh, than for uh, for Stan Van Gundy there. Uh, but yeah, a couple of years in Boston with Brad Stevens, played a lot less in the Raptors' title year, 2018-2019. What it all that was Kyrie Irving's last year in Boston. It all was starting to unravel. But yeah, started to really find his way in Phoenix. Played the most minutes he had in his career. Uh, first time averaging double digit points. And, and yeah, this is your starting center. Like, they will roll with Lowry, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, and, uh, and Aaron Baines as, as center almost every single night. So 
look, there's uh, there's potential for Baines to to fill a role. Uh, I don't think uh, is it Chris Boucher, uh, the Canadian, is a real nice story, and they signed him and extended him as well. But you know, the the time is coming for for Boucher if it comes at all. Uh, Baines at 33, five six years older than Boucher. Time is now to play Aaron Baines. So uh, I, I really think they did good business. I know it's it's tough. Yeah, it's it's tough to sort of. Uh, you know, this Raptors team that won is almost fully disintegrated now outside of about, you know, the three, four key players that remain, Van Vliet, Lowry, um, and Siakam. Because remember, OG Ananobi didn't even play in the 2019 playoffs uh, with the appendectomy he had. So um, there's few and far between. A lot of pieces have left and departed. But, uh, but that's basketball. That's life in the big city. When you're a championship team, it's hard to keep everybody. Greg Brady with us from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. The NBA knows they'll start on December 22nd. Let's look at the NHL for just a moment. You've got an idea. You have an idea. Well, this this takes the full-on Mike Stubbs approval. I'm willing to defer to your uh, logic. We've known each other a long time. Sometimes I think you're the more grounded, logical one. I'm the one a little more out in left field. You're the more reliable human being broadcaster etc cetera, etc cetera. so here's here we go but i i'm ready i think I'm, i can tell you on this so we're we're getting all this great vaccine news i know you probably covered it off the top of the show every monday we get great news on on a vaccine and this one especially today the astrazeneca one where you don't have to keep it at uh you know uh it doesn't have to be stored like you're uh, you're out on the you know out on an outpost uh, 50k from yellow knife you can actually store this like you store your, uh, in, instead of your steaks in your freezer, you can store it with your uh, processed cheese slices to make your grilled cheese every day. So that's good. So vaccines are coming. Vaccines are going to, we see the end in sight. We know the next three months are going to be hell on earth. Why would the NHL, and if I'm an owner, let's say you're an owner and I'm an owner, and we're owners that don't make money without fans in the stands. Hell, maybe we don't make money anyway. What is our incentive? To have a 60-game season, what is our incentive to have home game, road game, road game, home game, back and forth, all over the place? Um, we're not going to bubble because that's expensive. We want to we want to play. We don't think we can play in front of fans. So what if we just have a two-month, eight-week tournament once again, and it's just a tournament? There's no regular season. Regular season NHL anyway. You know on the best of days, Tuesday big coyote stars matchup come on so we're close but but this gets us to a full fall season of 82 games and and things back to normal in september october but honestly mike if you own the florida panthers and i own the carolina hurricanes what's our incentive to open up the doors right now no wonder they're trying to jack the players for uh you know a lot more of their salary could we have somehow a four bubble team tournament that has some intensity like a world championship would have or a, or the old Canada Cups or World Cups would have. What what do you say? Well, you know what? I, I don't mind this because the incentive that I feel I would have as an owner that risks losing money is simply loyalty to my league. You know, I'm going to take this hit. I'm going to lose some money here. I'm going to pay for the travel of the players. I'm going to pay for the salary of the players. I'm not going to have that gate revenue. I'm going to have my little slice of TV revenue, whatever that comes in. But you're not going to be making money. You're going to be losing money. You could be losing substantial cash. So from that standpoint... 
I like it. Here's the other reason I like it. If you are to start, let's say, in mid-January or sometime in February or whenever they decide to get going, and you try and – because the big deal is let's have as many games as we want to. Let's have 62, 75, even an 82-game schedule so that owners are not losing that much money then you're running that into September again, and, and it'll take you two and three years to wind the clock back. So I like it from that standpoint. From a fan standpoint, I love it. Can you make enough money for the, the owners that do make money for, for them to like this? What do you think? Yeah, I know. That's the problem. Like, if you've got a 17 Canadian bubble, which is fascinating anyway, because uh, then there's no, ge- no geographical uh, limitations for the first time ever. So you've got seven teams in a bubble, let's say, the six Canadian, the seven Canadian teams are playing each other three times within the span of a five-week scenario. Then you've got you've got you know eighteen games. Maybe you've got uh, maybe two teams don't play three times. The sixteen bubble. You got three other American bubbles or exist where you've got you each play each other three times. You got fifteen games. It means a lot. Think about the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of of the of NFL fans, of college football fans, where every game means something. You don't have that in a 60-game NHL season. Here's the other thing. If you're playing a team twice, and I do think the NBA is nuts for not considering this, if, if COVID is going to be avoided by all the ins and outs, what's the one thing baseball has going for it? Series. When the Kansas City Royals go to Detroit or go to Chicago on the south side to play the White Sox, they come for three or four games at a time. It makes no sense for the NBA to have the, the Celtics come and play the Raptors in Tampa Bay and not play them twice in a row. Why do you? There's more travel. People don't realize this. There's more travel in the NBA than there is in Major League Baseball because it's in, out, in, out, city here, city there, arrive at 3 in the morning all the time. You never settle in. And I think there's, there's promise. If the NHL is going to do this, then when the Flyers play the Islanders, even though that's not that bad a trip, you better have them play two games in a row. When the Leafs play in, in uh, Canada against the Senators, they better stay for the two games. I just don't think enough uh, league executives have thought this through. You're saving a ton of money if you reduce the overall amount of trips and you're reducing exposure to COVID-19 as well. But that's yeah, was it not running the NHL. Not yet. Not yet. Anyway. Not, not yet. No, I, I have not been asked. I, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I don't even know where to apply. But I, I was shocked when the NBA said what we are going to do is we're going to have interconference play. I thought, no, no, you just yeah. you'd stick it to one conference instead. You know, you're only playing three games against your own conference and then you're playing two games against the other conference. That blew my mind. I thought we would see a lot more like that because in baseball, you're right. And look at when you have COVID repercussions, if you catch that as a series begins, you're buying yourself a couple of days and that series doesn't take place, but at the same time, it's not like you're going and and heading to a new city that night and playing back to back because the NBA schedule is going to be tight. It's going to be condensed. And what do they leave two weeks at the end of the season just in case they've got to reschedule games? Well, I don't know and, that and, that's and, enough. And you're right. And also, don't forget the Olympics and the NBA's you know participation in them. That's almost going to end up being a World Championships. Like if you like for hockey, like teams that don't make the playoffs. Uh, probably, you know, teams, even the United States and Canada. Remember how excited we all were for Canada in the Olympics in basketball? And we haven't qualified, but if we did, you're talking Jamal Murray, uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins, 
tons of stars that weren't necessarily, you know, big factors before. So I, I don't know how they're going to swing it. Um, and, and do I think the, I think the Olympics are happening, whether there's fans or not. I think they have to have the Euros, the European Soccer Championships in June, whether there's fans or not. I was planning on being one of those fans. I'm still holding out hope. Uh, I've got seven and a half months. Uh, but the Olympics as well in August, they're having those things in Tokyo anyway. Whether there's fans or not, they'll find a way to test the athletes. But it would be a weird scenario to run, you know, the, the 100 meters in an empty Olympic stadium in Tokyo. I'll give you that. But I, I just I think there's got to be a lot of, of more, uh, you know, uh, planning for the concept that you can eliminate travel. And remember, we all watched these games early on. The NBA had to play out the string, play some regular season games in the bubble in Orlando. But we all watched because we were kind of fascinated by how we would look. Now, the fascination's kind of gone now. So, man, are, are we really going to be, di- you know, digging into a, to a Raptors at Sacramento regular season game at 1030 on a night in February when we're, when we're coming to the end of our long, dark, cold COVID winter? I'm not sure. I mean, ratings have been down for all sports pretty much unanimously across the board. So why will NBA and NHL regular season games bring people back? Not what the networks want to hear, but it's the reality. Yeah, no, I if I'm the more logical one, you got me sold. You have me sold. So bubble up hockey because it is going to be a long NDA season, and you're right. If ratings are not there for Raptors in Sacramento on a Wednesday in February, yeah, you're going to be losing out, and it gets down to who's making the decisions, the ones who see how it's going to play or the ones that see how much it's going to cost. And usually it's the ones that decide how much it's going to cost that tend to have the louder voices. We'll see what happens. Greg, thanks so much for this. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, pleasure, man, Mike. Anytime. That is Greg Brady from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Bubble the NHL one more time. Then, then, if we get the vaccine distributed or vaccines distributed in the way that everybody hopes, then you do have a regular next year. Find a way, even gimmick it up, to do it this year, but don't put yourself in a position to have to rewind time or squeeze or what have you in order to get your schedule back on track. Yeah, this is still going to be a a different year. 2021, just when the clock strikes, does not mean, hey, back to normal. It's not going to be like that. 2021 is going to be a part of what we've been going through in 2020, at least for the first few months, it looks like, and we'll see beyond that. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.